Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. America's First Mystery. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. In August of 1590, John White anxiously sailed from England back to his wife, daughter, and infant granddaughter, the first English child born in the Americas. He was going towards his new home, the colony of Roanoke, now modern-day North Carolina. He was the governor of the new colony, and he had been gone three years on a mission to ask Queen Elizabeth for more supplies and support. But upon his return, he was confused, and then heartbroken. When his ship landed, White found nothing, no signs of his family, his fellow colonists, and only a few puzzling clues as to what had happened in his three-year absence. As he stopped to figure out his next move, he stumbled upon a wooden post with the word Croatoan carved into it. It was at this point that an enduring and yet unsolved mystery would fascinate and provoke speculation between American and international historians for hundreds of years to come. Call it a curse? cultural ignorance, or the most unfortunate sequence of circumstances to hit a small English colony, today we're talking about the lost colony of Roanoke. Roanoke Colony was founded by Sir Walter Raleigh in 1587, an attempt to create the first permanent English settlement in North America, to have a stronghold in the Americas, and to kind of be on the offense of the Spanish, who were quickly gaining traction in what they called the New World. The English really didn't have a good exploration track record in said New World. In 1583, an explorer named Sir Humphrey Gilbert had briefly claimed St. John's Newfoundland as the first English territory in North America, but Gilbert was mysteriously lost at sea on his return journey to England, so that territory was dead on arrival. No pun intended. Roanoke was going to be different, though, and started with some big dreams and some very interested investors, who had watched eagerly as Raleigh brought back plants, animals, and two cooperative, open-minded indigenous people back to England to show them that a colony could be a real moneymaker. Raleigh also souped up some of his personal journals from his expedition, likening the region to the Garden of Eden, and prophesizing a colony in the area teeming with precious metals, including silver and gold, to usher in, quote, the next golden age. Was there proof of this? No. No, of course there was not. But honestly, it didn't matter. Raleigh was thinking of having 69 colonists as the inaugural group to populate the first incarnation of the colony, not yet called Roanoke. 
Around 600 men were sent, half intending to stay, while others would establish, leave, and maybe come back. Raleigh stayed back. John White went on the trip, the guy from the top of this episode, who, of course, was not yet made governor, but was at that point just an illustrator who drew landscapes for records. The whole establishment of a colony was bad from the get-go, which I don't think a lot of people realized. Seven ships took the 69 people and supplies. The big five were called the Tiger, the Roebuck, the Red Lion, Elizabeth, Dorothy, and the smaller two called Pinnaces, which I guess didn't have names. On April 9th, 1585, the ships left England and immediately encountered a storm off the coast of Portugal, separating the Tiger from the rest of the ships and sinking one pinnace ship. Thankfully, there was a plan if disaster struck. The ships would regroup off the coast of Puerto Rico. The Tiger got there first, established a base camp, tried to avoid Spanish ships, which, I should mention, were all over Puerto Rico. But the only other ship that showed up was the Elizabeth, which arrived on May 19th. The other ships continued on, ran out of supplies, and just kind of moved on. The Tiger and the Elizabeth established contact with local Spanish authorities, hoping to get more supplies there. But the Spanish were like, mm, not from us, no thanks. So again, they continued onward. On June 26th, the Tiger struck a shoal, ruining most of the food supplies and almost destroying the ship. At this point, the pre-Roanoke colony timeline was so behind schedule that infrastructure should have been already established for winter, fortifying the English presence in North America. Of course, that did not happen. The remaining men and ships regrouped, some sailing forward to find a smaller spot, others going back to England to report what had happened. They scattered everywhere. It was not organized. So, new plan. The new colony, again kind of a beta version of Roanoke, called the Lane Colony, named after Lane, the leader, relied heavily on the kindness of the indigenous people in the area. As colonists made more in-depth contact with the locals, a pamphlet published in 1588 was sent back to England complete with fun illustrations by John White. But following this initial exploration, a silver cup was reported missing among the colonists. Believing the items stolen by the indigenous people, Raleigh sent some people to demand the property back. When the villagers had no idea what the colonists were talking about and couldn't obviously give back the cup that they didn't have, the English decided that a punishment was necessary in order to not appear weak. So the men of the Lane Colony showed their true colonizing colors, burnt down the nearest native town and its crops, and sent the remaining survivors fleeing from the wreckage. At that point, records show that a lost ship, the Roebuck, had found its way back to Roanoke Island months later, and left on September 8, 1585, to finally head back to England. Records also indicate 107 men remained with Lane at the colony for a total population of 108. These 108 had thought, based on Raleigh's grandiose records, that they would find gold, silver, resources, but they didn't, and they were pissed. And they thought pretty much the mission was a total waste of time. Fall of 1585 was spent begging indigenous villages for corn, venison, fish, oysters, honestly, whatever they could get their hands on, to survive the horrific winter. Little information survives around this point between September 1585 and March 1586, but most likely the colonists were cold, hungry, and miserable. Still, they kept colonizing, exploring around Chesapeake Bay, hoping for help and trying to learn more about the area. What they were really looking for was big old wealthy civilizations to take over, like those of the Inca and Aztecs that the Spanish had found. But instead, they found kind of low-key, self-sustaining villages that, one by one, suffered deadly epidemics. 
Historians today likely credit it to the English spread of influenza or smallpox, and villagers also made that correlation, thinking some kind of very bad supernatural force was being released from the English colonists. Of course, death of indigenous communities helped no one as they bore the brunt of human survival in the area, English or not. By spring, relations between the Sakotan, the nearest surviving community, and Lane's colony went from okay to very, very bad, likely because of Lane's over-reliance on the Sakotans for their food. In March, Lane consulted with Pemisipan, the leader of the Sakotan, about a joint exploration beyond the island. But it didn't go that way. Without fresh supplies that were supposedly on their way from England, they were at an impasse. The Sakotans were also pretty tired of subsidizing the sickly English idiots that were in their space and completely cut them off after Lane created a desperate ransom situation with a Sakotan prince in order to extort more food from the community. Eventually, Pemisipan was attacked, shot, and beheaded by Lane, who took Pemisipan's head and displayed it outside of the Lane colony's fort. In June, the colonists made contact with the ships of Sir Francis Drake, an exploration superstar that you may have heard of, who was on his way back to England from an incredibly successful raid and lots of lootings in Florida, with the intent that some of his hostages and resources would be delivered to Roanoke to give to the sickly Lane colonists. But after Drake caught wind of how bad the situation really was there, he instead left behind four months of supplies and a ship, the Francis. Unfortunately, a hurricane hit and swept the Francis out to sea. After everything, the storm, the starvation, the violence, Lane finally persuaded his men to evacuate the colony, and Drake begrudgingly agreed to take them all back to England. Three of Lane's colonists were left behind and never heard from again, and nobody is sure if any refugees Drake brought there survived, or if they did, what happened to them. In one of the worst miscommunications in American history— at least up until that point, a single supply ship sent by Raleigh arrived at Roanoke just days after Drake evacuated the colony. The crew of the supply ship could not find any trace of the colonists and just kind of left. Two weeks later, a relief fleet finally arrived about six months late with a year's worth of supplies and 400 men. This relief fleet would also head back to England, leaving behind a mere 15 men, both to maintain a very meager English presence, and to protect Raleigh's claim to the Roanoke Island. These 15 men were never seen again. Despite the desertion of the Lane Colony, Raleigh still wanted to make the colony of his dreams. Of course, the area of the Lane Colony was now no longer safe for English settlers, so Raleigh decided on Chesapeake Bay in South Carolina. On January 7, 1587, Raleigh approved a corporate character to found the City of Raleigh, with White as governor and 12 men as his government. To be clear, we're talking a lot about movement and geographical locations. I want to say that the Lane Colony was more towards Virginia, um, by Roanoke Island and by a bunch of different islands, and the Colony of Roanoke was much more on the South Carolina end of things, if that clears things up a bit. I know, lots and lots of movement to a pretty unfortunate end. Of course, we will get there. So, Raleigh approved a corporate charter to found the city of Raleigh, like I said, with White as governor and 12 men as his government. Approximately 115 people, mostly middle-class Londoners looking to move up in social class, agreed to join the colony, including White's pregnant daughter Eleanor and her husband Aeneas Dare. This time the colonists included women and children, but no military protection. Good idea? Absolutely not. 
The Roanoke fleet departed on May 8th and landed on Croatoan Island on July 22nd, an island close to the site of Lane's colony. The fleet was shocked to find the entire area dismantled, overgrown and with human bones scattered throughout. It was an ominous sight to behold, especially for those that were planning to stay. On July 25th, all of the 115 colonists disembarked and almost immediately a man named George Howe was killed hunting for crabs. Again, we are getting off on the worst feat. On August 18th, 1587, Eleanor Dare gave birth to her daughter, called Virginia, in honor of being the first colonist born there. But of course, as autumn rolled in and without any help from indigenous communities, because they had burned that bridge, the colonists were again at a loss. They persuaded their artist-turned-governor leader to return to England and ask for some help. He agreed, and on August 27, 1587, John White began the mission to get the Roanoke colony some crucial aid. Once he got to England, Queen Elizabeth had gotten word that a Spanish armada was looking to attack England, so White was not allowed to go back to Roanoke for another three years. In 1590, Raleigh arranged a passage for White on a privateering expedition, just wanting to get him back. On the evening of August 15th, while anchored at the north end of Croatoan Island, which gave him a good view of the area around the colony, White saw plumes of smoke on Roanoke Island, so that seemed positive. On August 17th, he saw what he thought was a fire on the north end of Roanoke and rode towards it, but the whole crew reached the island at night and decided to stay overnight in the boats. There they sang English songs in hopes the colonists would hear. On August 18th, Virginia's third birthday, White and his relief crew arrived at Roanoke, finding fresh tracks in the sand. But when they went to greet the colonists, their fellow Englishmen, they found no signs of human life, just the letters C-R-O carved into a nearby tree. As they cased the desolate compound, they found houses had been destroyed and looted, including several large trunks, three belonging to White, and no boats on the shore. One of the crew observed the word Croatoan carved into one of the posts as he cased the area. White was certain these two inscriptions meant that the colonists had peacefully relocated to Croatoan Island, since they had agreed back in 1587 that the colonists would have a, quote, secret token indicating their destination if they ever ran into any trouble. Though White was desperate to find the missing colonists, he was forced to go back to England, arriving on October 24th, 1590, with more mysteries than answers. On that note, let's take a break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Lost Colony of Roanoke is the subject that got me into unsolved mystery, history, 
way back when I was in school. I don't know what grade. I must have been in like oh. sixth grade or something like that. Really? So I remember talking about it. And then I was like, wait, this is so interesting. And some other things were interesting with me. I've always liked history, but this mm-hmm. was unsolved. And I remember being in class and we were going on to the next subject. I was like, wait, hold on a second. Wait, <laughs> hold on. Stop right there. We're, we're not going to still... T- the teacher was like, no, we're moving on to, I don't know, industrial age or something like that. And I was like, well, we have... I, people were like, what are you talking about, dude? I was so interested and kind of infatuated with it. That's what was always the thing that kept me interested in anything mysterious and anything historical. This is probably one of my favorite, even though yeah, yeah, yeah. it has been done to uh, death. To death, for sure. yeah. For sure. But I think there's, oh, for me personally, there's always room to talk about it. And you know, when you have a subject that's like 1500s, I'm checked out. So I just wanted yeah. to bring that up. Just bringing up me being really, really cool in sixth grade. Yeah, yeah, rare and precious. Well, also, like, I think that you're right. This time period doesn't bring up a, like a lot of intrigue. I would say we think about like early Americas, and it's very dry, and it's like, oh, you know, colonists, like indigenous people. You know, you have this specific idea of what it is, but like this doesn't really fit into that. Like when you think about like mysterious, unsolved things, you think of like ancient civilizations, or you think about the 90s. You don't really think about the 1500s. So you're right. I think it's it's a very fun thing to kind of wrap our head our head around. I'm always thinking about the 90s. That's <laughs> it's true. That's true. It's very true. Unless you think about the 80s or 70s. Yeah, other than that, I'm thinking no. about the 90s. Hi, hello. How are you? Hello. Checking in. Hello. How's, How's it, going? it going? Is it good? Is it good? Do I sound okay? I'm sick right now, so yeah, I'm not okay. I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not okay right now. She's barely holding on. I know. I am in optimal health again. Oh, um, wow. Everything's firing on all cylinders. Mm. Taller than I've ever been. Younger than oh. I've ever been. Wow. Thinner and, and fatter than I've ever been. All at once. Wow. Everything you want from me, I'm all of those things. That's beautiful. It's, yeah. it's That's great. Just uh, I'm over here with some Kleenexes and Gatorades, but... Maybe that is me firing at all cylinders. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's my best. Okay. It's like not lay off. Not cigarettes <laughs> is your firing at all cylinders. It's true. I will say though, I got sick this weekend. I was away and I drunkenly bought three packs of menthols. I just bought I was like, they don't sell these in California. And I bought three packs of menthols in Tennessee. You don't deserve health. I don't deserve health. I it's it's very bad. It's a bad scene over here. It's kind of dark. Well, it's bright and sunny where I am. <laughs> and we want to say hello to anyone who's listening, supporting the show, spreading the good word. Yes. How are you? Hello. We hope you're doing just as well, if not better than me, <laughs> uh-huh. and even a half a percent better than Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. All we can ask. If you're doing a half percent, you are doing great in my book. And the only thing that cures an ailment <laughs> is talking about the government. Of course. Just brightens up every day. It gets those endorphins going, especially when you kick right into the mayors. Oof. Yeah. Oh, baby. I feel invigorated. Well, uh, just chilling in one of those cryogenic <laughs> freezers that make you young or make you thin. I don't know what it does. It's, it's I feel like something it's something rich expensive. people do. It's expensive. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. expensive taste, but this person is worth it. We got a little cat, Joselle. Hello. 
doing a straight up blood swap out. <laughs> just getting rid of their old blood and putting in brand new. Wow, just Gen Z blood. Like the good Gen Z, like the cast of Euphoria, mm. but without Oof. any of the drugs and cigarettes. Yeah, no drugs, just straight pure blood. But all the good funky stuff. Yeah, young stuff. as hell. Good, good, good. That would be Charlie Gilbert. Hello. And getting straight up rakied. <laughs> whatever that is, all the reiki. Mm-hmm. There's cups, there's reiki, <laughs> there's things stretching you, there're oils, there're mm-hmm. sounds, there's a sound bath. It's yeah. all happening. It's like the greatest of, hits of, of reiki. <laughs> it would be Ashley Matson. Hello. And our governor, who is straight up chilling in the actual fountain of youth. Yeah, she doesn't need any of these things. No. She's already there, baby. And the thing is, she has all this stuff, and she's like, yeah, I got the fountain of youth. Pretty cool. <laughs> just chill, just just kind of waiting in it. Mm-hmm. Like, just like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being whatever age she wants to be. <laughs> When I see your Instagram stories, I'm like, that might be true. I don't know what it is. It probably is. Wow. If anyone does, this person does. Our governor, Avian, Avian Noble. Noble. So if you want no ads, no chit chat, bonus episodes, you just want the good stuff. You don't want to mess around with any of this BS that we're Mm-mm. stringing together. You don't. And you deserve it. Your your time mm-hmm. is valuable. There's like 70 mm-hmm. bonus episodes there's all the, if you want to listen to old episodes, but you don't want to hear any of the ads or talk and you want to burn through them, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost town pod. There is also a seven day free trial to try it out. If you like it, great. Mm. Or you can just, you know, get it for seven days for free. Listen to as much as you want and bail. I don't care. Yeah. Just go, just go to it. Grift us. Yeah. Grift us. I beg you. So speaking of a grift, you want to head back to America? (laughs) Let's do it. Let's get back to the 1500s where there is a lot of things going on. So what happened to Roanoke? Well, lots of theories about it, even back in the 1500s. According to Raleigh, they had just relocated and were still alive. Of course they were. Uh, And again, this was a convenient theory for Raleigh because if the settlers weren't proven dead, he could legally make his claim on the land. But in the 1590s, more and more men from Roanoke were declared dead so that their children could take over their property. But there was more and more evidence as the years went by to support that maybe some people of Roanoke had survived. In 1607, Jamestown was settled in Virginia. And when explorer John Smith, you might know him from the Pocahontas story, asked the local chiefs about Roanoke, they described a place called Okanahoan. I'm sorry, I'm sure I butchered that, where men wore European-style clothing and Anoni, a place with walled houses. With cooperation from the indigenous leaders, Jamestown officials produced a crude map of the region with labels for these mysterious villages. The map also featured a place called Pakrakanik, with a note indicating, quote, Here remaineth four men clothed that came from Ruanokok to Okahanawan. This gave people hope that the people of Roanoke were still alive and had migrated away from the original colony. Another explanation for the disappearance of the Roanoke settlers was that they fell victim to the Spanish, who wanted to be number one in the Americas and had dominated in their colonialist initiatives just down the coast of Florida. 
Some evidence of this was that one Roanoke settler named Darby Gland left the 1587 expedition once it set ashore in Puerto Rico to take on supplies. He later reported that he told Spanish officials the location of the Roanoke settlement, the exact location. Why? I am not sure. Some people think the colony was meant to perish in a royal conspiracy. According to Johns Hopkins University anthropologist Lee Miller, the colonists were deliberately left at Roanoke by Sir Francis Walshingham, secretary of the state to Queen Elizabeth I, who thought that Queen Elizabeth gave Raleigh too much power and too many chances to create a colony. Eventually, the men were killed and the women and children taken in by indigenous communities. Uh, Again, it's more of a conspiracy to usurp power from the queen's darlings, less so to expand, create, colonize. But one such famous story that supports this theory is that when a member of the Jamestown colony asked an indigenous person about any Western-looking people who were around, as they did because Roanoke was kind of always on their mind, the indigenous person talked about seeing a blonde, fair-skinned boy in the clothing of an indigenous child. It's a powerful memory that a lot of these sources cite, and it would have been shocking, probably, uh, to hear about and to witness. All of this really lends itself to the most widely held theory. If Roanoke survivors existed, they assimilated with the indigenous community. Over the course of generations, intermarriage between the natives and the English would produce a third distinct group some believe is the Lumbee tribe, a gray-eyed English-speaking group native to North Carolina, but with a mysterious and unknown lineage. The Lumbees could read and write English, and some of the family names of Roanoke colonists, like Dial, Hyatt, and Taylor, were shared by Lumbee tribe members as early as 1719. Though, of course, there are some other theories, that everyone died from famine or disease. It's certainly plausible. Diseases like smallpox, malaria, dysentery, diphtheria, etc. ran rampant, and you know, the spread of disease was not very well known at the time, and the colonists had no idea how to survive, much less stop the spread of disease or viruses. Then there's the theory that the colonists perished at sea during a deadly storm trying to return to England, which could also be true. They could have gotten into ships and fled, which is why we never saw any ships um, when White came back to explore. Again, might be true. We have a lot of different evidence of that in this story with the Lane Colony before, after, into Roanoke. Um, And then uh, the one that is the most compelling to me is the theory of the Dare Stones, which is a powerful clue in the mystery of Roanoke, whatever it means. Found in November 1937, a stone inscribed with a letter to John White, supposedly from his daughter Eleanor herself, details what happens to those left behind after White had gone to England for help. The story written on the stone claimed that the colonists met with only misery and war, and more than half the group died. The last 24 survivors moved inland towards the Chowan River, where the stone was found, when, in 1591, all, including Eleanor's husband, Aeneas, and daughter Virginia, but seven were executed by indigenous people. The stones are haunting. Um, They've got old English kind of written down the stone's spine. The stone's white writing concludes specifying the location of a mass grave and asks, begs the stone's discoverer to go there. 
1941, 47 other stones were found by a stonecutter named Bill Eberhardt that continued the group's narrative through 1603. These were intriguing, and obviously uh, a lot was made of them. But the additional stones were stylistically different than the first, piquing the interest of reporter Boyden Sparks, who then exposed them all as fakes. The original Dare Stone has yet to be proven or disproven as real, but scholars agree that someday it may unlock more information that will finally provide answers to the fate of the settlers at the lost colony of Roanoke. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.